0: Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chicks into the Pit. Um, we're already reaching the end of August, yet the championships we love are as open as ever. Um, okay, except for Formula One.
1: Duh! <laughs> no, but the Mosesport world has been making up for all the races we lost to COVID-19, and honestly calendars have never been so busy. I mean, we obviously love these hectic backpacks, even though they're not exactly doing big favors to our university careers. <laughs> yeah, um,
0: F one has obviously had its usual dose of drama, as well as absolutely boring races, if you ask us. And plus, as you might have guessed, we're so delighted to see Ferrari finally working things out. Um, but yeah. <laughs> uh we'll break that down further in this episode. So without further ado, let's get this episode this episode started. <laughs> so
1: Marty, like where do we even begin to be honest?
0: I don't know. I mean the first race uh we saw after the last episode was Silverstone, am I right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So um I don't know like that race was quite strange because that was so boring for like 99% of it but the last laps were absolutely crazy so I don't know I kind of appreciated that uh, but obviously I I was coming from an hour and a half of absolute boredom so <laughs> yeah
1: I, I don't know mixed feelings about that. Yeah, honestly, the thing is, um, and even though you know I don't follow it, but of course I've seen the tweets and I've seen everything. To some extent, uh, the same thing is kind of happening in MotoGP, which at the moment is like super, super interesting because market is out of contention for the title basically, and you know all sorts of crazy stuff is happening. But as It happened in Formula One with Silverstone. The fact is, when races become interesting because something absolutely batshit crazy happens, I think that's a problem. Like, You cannot make a race interesting by blowing up tires or having dramatic incidents. I mean, the race in itself, the the overtaking action should be the the centerpiece, you know. So I, I... tend to be not very um, positive about races that only get interesting because of these absolutely insane scenarios. I mean, it's part of the game, obviously, and it's part of what makes it exciting. But I think that the excitement should actually come from, you know, the racing talent talent and the racecraft on display most of the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. But like at this point, I feel like this is the only way we could get something interesting happen on track. and it's obviously quite sad. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's the way it is. Like the championship is basically already closed, and um, so people are sh- certainly looking for uh, for some action, but I see that it only comes from these weird, strange, Things, crashes, accidents that happen. And that's not really what it should be about. I mean, it's obviously an important part of racing. But, yeah, the excitement should also come from something else. Which, at the moment, we're not actually seeing.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, uh, going back to MotoGP, on which I'm in no way an expert. Marty knows that. Everybody (laughs) knows that, basically. But uh, I think that what happened this year with markets being completely ruled out of any championship hopes because honestly even if he comes back in two to three months as um doctors seem to predict it's not it's not like he can realistically fight for the championship but yeah. you see how uh, eliminating from the equation the absolute you know star the absolute talent actually makes things more interesting and i mean it, it's kind of yeah, uh, you know, exciting from a certain perspective is like imagine what Formula One would be without Lewis Hamilton for a season. But yeah. it's also kind of sad to think that the combination of, of course, of driver and machinery. Because I suspect that in MotoGP as well as in Formula One, Honda plays a very big part in Marcus' success. And Marcus is, you know, an absolute crystal clear talent, of course. But he has an amazing uh, vehicle and amazing yeah. machinery. Uh, so the thing is, it's also kind of sad to see somebody blowing the competition so much out of the water, like that That when you remove them, think actually, things actually get interesting again. And yeah. I mean, all props to them, kudos to Mercedes, to Honda, to Hamilton, to Markets. It's always amazing to see such a dominating force into action. But it also put, puts things in perspective as to what could have been if anybody else was up to a competition at that level
0: yeah yeah you're right and you know um about multi i wanted to say a quick thing um which is like we know that i mean you, you know that too so uh it's been a pretty big deal um in the last few races uh lots of crashes have happened um bad crashes too if you ask me and mm. um it obviously uh was something uh, I'd say entertaining to a certain point for a certain type of audience because that was really not entertaining for me Um, and something that really made me upset was after the MotoGP crash in Austria seeing that the MotoGP twitter account uh, was basically already posting videos of the crash
1: from any possible angle
0: from yeah I was absolutely
1: shocked I was like Oh my God, what is happening? Why are they posting the videos? Yeah, that was
0: crazy. Yeah, that was quite upsetting to me because basically we still didn't know the conditions of the riders involved. So I was like, what the f*** are you doing? Like, you can't do that. You you just can't do that because at that point you basically perpetrate the narration of uh, MotoGP being fun only as long as it's dangerous, which is absolutely wrong.
1: Yeah, like, I I agree with you, Marty, and it's actually part of the reason uh, for which I find MotoGP so difficult to see, like, those riders are absolutely insane, the amount of risk they go through is crazy, if you ask me, and the problem is, I think that Formula One, in this sense, evolved further than MotoGP, like, uh, I mean, in just a couple of days, it would be uh, Antoine Robert's um first anniversary since his death and you if if you followed us guys and if you've also listened to other podcasts episode um you've seen how that particular event really took a toll on both me and marty like it it was something that we we didn't take lightly especially because just a week after that uh, we were together in monza and yeah it was it was very surreal to be honest and of course we've seen more deaths in Formula 1, but it's not like uh, MotoGP didn't have a significant body count. Like, unfortunately, that's the reality for MotoGP as well. But yeah, it seems like Formula 1 is a lot more cautious in uh, making a spectacle out of these things, while MotoGP seems to actually, you know, kind of popularize this uh, as the main reason as to watch MotoGP and yeah i think that's that attracts the uh, absolutely wrong kind of audience but the thing is is a vicious circle if you think about that because at, at the moment in which you constantly push this kind of a narr- uh, of narrative uh, you attract a certain type of audience the audience that thinks incidents are fun and danger is what makes motorsports Uh, interesting Uh, but when you get that kind of an audience then implementing security measures is incredibly difficult because they're going to be pissed no matter what you do and we've seen that in Formula One over the years thankfully that kind of audience has been kind of put into a minority in Formula One like honestly yes people complained for example the most recent example I think is the halo Uh, and people complained when the halo was introduced because um, yeah. It kind of disrupted in their in their mind uh, the, the the silhouettes of the car. Uh, honestly, I never had such complaints. I actually think that the halo looks very nice. And I particularly like the halo uh, when um, painted the same color as, as the rest of the chassis. It happened yeah. with the SF-71H. I think the first halo, the first Ferrari halo was uh, yeah. red. And I absolutely love that car. Um, but the thing is, they, they quickly died down, honestly, those kind of complaints quickly died down, because people people realized the importance of that, and, and mostly because, yeah, Formula One has attracted a different audience uh, in their time. Honestly, I don't know much about MotoGP history. In recent history, I think the most traumatic event was probably um, Simoncelli's death, in terms of also, you know, the public resonance. It got, but for from a certain perspective, I think that MotoGP never had their Ayrton Senna. Like the the death of Senna, I think well it, it was the the most traumatic experience in Formula One. Also partially the um, Niki Lauda accident a couple of decades earlier, but it, you know Niki La- Lauda survived. Of course, it was a crazy survival, but he survived. And but losing a three-time world champion as uh, Formula One did, completely shifted everything out of proportion and out of perspective. And that's when we started getting the first real security measures being implemented. I think that MotoGP thankfully lacks that at the moment.
0: Yeah. um, uh, I don't know. Like, I'm always very upset when it comes to this because, like, Safety measures could be improved in MotoGP, like they could and everyone knows that they could be improved. But uh, no one actually worries about that, Um, apart from some riders um, who are obviously, maybe, you know, not the younger ones. Uh, Like Valentino Rossi was so shook after the accident in Austria. I've never seen him like that, Um, except for the day uh, Simon Charlie died. And um, I I don't know, it's really, it's real to me the fact that um, there are so many crashes in MotoGP that could be potential, could like go wrong (laughs) in so many ways. And no one wants to do anything about that. Um, It's really, it's really crazy to me. Like, just think about the fact that Austria is. I mean, anyone can understand that Austria is not a circuit made for mo- for MotoGP. It's not yeah, made for I motorbikes. Yeah, like, I
1: absolutely
0: as, agree. you know, even Barcelona is not made for motorbikes. It's it's so wrong to me the fact that MotoGP, Moto Two, Moto Three, any of these categories have to have to race on on such wrong tracks for them. In this sense, because like if you think about Barcelona, it's So not good to race on that track for motorbikes.
1: Yeah, like I mean, it would be like having MotoGP racing at Monza. Like it would be insane. And I mean, the Red Bull Ring is very similar to to Monza under so many aspects. So I've always wondered. I mean, it's a it's a matter of sponsorships, of course. I think Red Bull is heavily involved in MotoGP too, as far as I know. So uh, of course, it's a it's a matter of sponsorships, but. Honestly, to imagine that they actually race there, it's absolutely crazy for me. And you know, I'm not an expert, but I can see, I can understand how that is completely wrong from a security perspective. The amount of uh, modifications uh, the Red Bull ring should have to be even remotely safe for riders is absolutely insane.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean there are so many things. And they that...
1: had two races there. You understand like two races? Yeah. Back.
0: <laughs> yeah. And in fact I was quite worried about uh, the second race because like coming from the first one where literally anything has happened, um, I was a bit like, um, do they really have to do this? Um and in fact, uh the second race, like the Syrian GP, uh was It was quite hectic from some points of view, like uh, there has been a bad crash there too. So yeah, I mean, it was not because of the layout of the track in this case, but anyways, there has been a bad crash. So yeah, I was, uh, I'm always quite upset when it comes to, to these things, like it's obvious that some circuits are made for cars and some others are made for motorbikes. And in this case, uh, Austria should not host
1: uh, MotoGP races, in my Definitely. opinion. Like, I've seen a tweet from uh, an independent MotoGP journalist I follow. Honestly, the only one, because I really like the way he, he writes and the way yeah. he's critical of the category, is called Simon Patterson. Yeah,
0: I, love Simon.
1: Yeah, like it's basically my only source for MotoGP because. <laughs> Yeah, I I really like his style, honestly. He's as unapologetic and as uh, always questioning um, the reasoning behind things, pretty much like we do, honestly. So I really like his style. And at at some point, I I saw a tweet, he was like, I want to get out of here. Like, I never want to see the Red Bull Ring again. He was so traumatized by the event. And I mean, I I can understand that. Anyway, like, you, you know, guys, we don't usually talk about MotoGP. But yeah, what happened? I think it was really interesting to put that into comparison to what happened in Formula One. Of course, right now in Formula One, thankfully... Uh, the main talking points are not about safety uh, as much as they are about, uh, you know, uh, team driver relationships. And and of course, the infamous, um, how are they calling it now? The copy gate? The people, the copy gate. Yes. And, you know, many things happen. Actually, when we um, recorded the last uh, um, podcast episode, we didn't we didn't have the um, FIA decision on the matter. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that was an absolutely insane document to to break down. Uh, I did a a couple of articles on that. Uh, Of course, you know, the the legal terms and everything that goes with them is not immediately apparent to to the general public. So it's always um, nice to have it paraphrased, let's say, uh, for, you know, the general audience. But, I mean, I can understand where the FIA is coming from, but basically the thing is that people are not uh, taking into account at the moment, not only for the copy gate, as they're calling it now, but also for the whole um, FIA-Ferrari agreement on the engine, is that basically the FIA knows they cannot afford strict sanctions uh, at the moment, because they simply do not have enough competitors. Other other constructors do not want to get involved in Formula One, and <laughs> they need to preserve what they already have. So, honestly, can you disqualify Ferrari for an entire season? No, of course Obviously you cannot. You cannot afford that. Can you disqualify two cars? Because come on, those cars are not legal. Like we can agree on that. I think we all know that. But you simply cannot afford to lose two cars and a, a big investor such as Lawrence Stroll and Aston Martin coming into play next year uh, because they they don't have the financial and uh, you know political let's say influence to do that at the moment. So from a business perspective, I can understand where they're coming from. We were saying that also in the in the latest podcast. We need to to keep the business side of things and the sporting side of things separated because they are yeah. not the same things and most of the time honestly they are incompatible with one another.
0: Yeah, yeah, and like right now it's obvious that Formula 1 is first and foremost about business. So um yeah, yeah, we can just uh think that the FIA can disqualify a team or anything because like it, it's it's unfair what they're doing. Like they will never do that. Obviously, of course. So yeah, but you know what? Um, about like multiple um, being dangerous and safety measures and all this, I I thought about uh, Leclerc's issue um, with um, with the seatbelts. what do you
1: think oh about that? That was crazy, that was insane, I still don't know how that was investigated, it's absolutely crazy, you know, I actually made you double checks and stuff, you know how I love to read sporting and technical regulations, it's also part of my day job, so I mean, I have to do that, uh, and I was like, I, I didn't even think about looking at seatbelt regulations like from a sporting <laughs> perspective from that perspective like the technical specifications of course must be detailed but I didn't even think about looking oh wait do I have to wear seat belts on a formula one car <laughs> in race conditions like it's, it's something that didn't even come into mind you know uh and I actually ran double checks on that because you know I always took that for granted and I'm like Wait, have I been wrong the entire time? But yeah, no, I actually double checked that. And and of course, it's such a, you know, basic rule that it isn't even in the sporting regulations or in the technical regulations. It's in the FIA International Sporting Code. Like it applies to every single FIA sanctioned championship. So it's not even into questions. Of course, Anytime you are in the car and the car is moving, you have to wear seat belts. It's not that difficult. So, I honestly have no idea why that was investigated. The only thing I can think about is that um, the stewards didn't have access to either, I, I cannot say the team radios because they hear the team radios, but actually Leclerc. Never said his seatbelts were undone in the team radio. Like he explicitly told to his race engineer that he had to come back into the pits, and he knew that he had to come back because his um his seatbelts were undone. But then uh, Adam and it wasn't Adami. I can't remember. But anyway, he was told he had to continue, which again, insane strategy by by Ferrari. But we're not even going to discuss that. Like that was such a ridiculous that I don't even know where to begin with um, yeah. but anyway the point is that he didn't come into the radio to to say that to say the seatbelts were not done, so the stewards could not have access to that and then they only have access to on boards later after the race yeah uh, so I think it didn't immediately become apparent to the stewards what was going on But I mean, people were were kind of, you know, weirded out about not there not being an investigation at all. And I'm weirded out as well. And the only reason I can think about is this and the fact that the investigation will come into the next um, race week. So this week, Uh, because, of course, stewards can also, you know, summon drivers and teams after a race weekend has ended uh, for something that happened before. You know, it's not like they have to do that in the same race week. If some evidence uh, comes into light later, they can can always do that. So, yeah, I honestly hope that's what's going to happen in (laughs) Spa, because otherwise I honestly have no idea what they were thinking about.
0: Yeah, like one thing that actually made the whole thing quite hilarious to me was the fact that Leclerc kept on saying on radio that he had some kind of problem, some kind of issue with the car, and uh, Ferrari was were just replying, "No, we we see that everything's fine from our data. Oh no, there's no problem. Like your driver's telling you that there's something wrong with the car.
1: What the hell do you think you know more than him?" Yeah, and like when when I'm thinking about it, when you make me think about it, you remember what uh, Maurizio Robaina said back in 2018, I think. Yeah, he was like, the problem with Ferrari's pit wall is that we're looking at the data and we're not looking at the track. He said that, and he said he said that in Italian, and he said that we needed a pista which yeah. basically he invented the word. There's no such thing in Italian, but he meant somebody who always keeps an eye on the track and what actually happens behind the data and behind the graphics and uh, yeah that, that was exactly that like you think your driver does not understand if the <laughs> engine doesn't sound right after he just stopped like of course he knows <laughs> please let him do his job it's not like you know assessing the tires like frequently for example Hamilton says the tires are gone when the tires aren't really gone but I mean the driver cannot have like a precise perception on uh, tire degradation. Of course, they have a feeling, they have vibration, but they yeah. can be wrong on that. But the engine, I mean, if the engine stopped, the driver knows. It's Not <laughs> something that is up to questioning, you know. So yeah, that was that was insane. But honestly, anything the Ferrari people said that weekend was completely batshit crazy. But so I'm not I'm not even surprised.
0: Yeah, yeah. In the end. I'm really sorry to to say that they are, you know, a bit of a circus, but that's actually w- what they look like right now. So um, I am yeah, sorry to say that, you know, I know that l- most people who listen to this podcast know by now that I'm not a big Ferrari fan, but obviously I'm Italian and it upsets me to see that they're not doing their job as they're supposed to to do that. So, yeah, exactly.
1: like it's it's not like we Italians are, you know, actually benefiting from this. Also because I've seen many stereotypes uh, come into question again, like, uh, oh my God, that's so Italian, that's so typically, typically uh... Italian. And to some extent, I can agree that there are some things Ferrari does that are not typical Italian style, but again, I mean, yeah, I don't want to be associated with that, to be honest. Yeah. So, I mean, I let's associate with Alfa Tauri and with Pierre Gasly, with... Yeah. He is, he's been doing a great job. So yeah, let's say that the Italian team, the, the excellent Italian team <laughs> is Alfa Tauri now. <laughs> oh God. No, anyway, like as Toto said, honestly, the, the, the thing that upsets me most and that I'm most sorry about other drivers like yeah you know, I, I, I don't have particular sympathy for Charles Leclerc but honestly he's a clear crystal clear talent and it saddens me to see somebody who can fight for wins and propose uh, be like a fourth place is a victory. The, the guy said that it's absolutely insane to think that a Ferrari driver would say that. And it's not. It's not like we we didn't have some this kind of stuff before. Like we had some pretty dark years in Ferrari, yeah. uh, yeah. two thousand fourteen. But you know the nineteenth, oh. the Alice Berger time. Like that. That was that was not Ferrari in its best form. You know but but it's sad because i mean leclerc is certainly somebody who could fight for for the championship as sebastian of course uh and it saddens me to see that they they have to to cope with this clownery all around <laughs> from ferrari to be honest especially seb of course because i mean this, this is such a bad breakup this really sounds like a terrible breakup the one when where you th- throw the dishes and stuff like that. Um, he, he, he keeps on saying he has no problem because, of course, like, Seb is not something that would... He's not someone that would hold grudges or, or be extremely vocal about having a problem. I mean, he's not Fernando Alonso. Uh, mm. We know that. But, yeah, it's, it, it really pains me to see that. So I agree with Toto all Like, I'm sorry for the drivers. I'm not sorry for the for the... For the management, not even the team, because of course there are so many hard-working people uh, yeah. in Ferrari, and like I'm, I'm really sorry for them, but of course they need to to follow orders and they need to 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 do what management tells them to do. So yeah, I'm sorry for them as well. Yeah, yeah. For it's Mattia Binotto, that... not so much. Oh, I'm not sorry at all for him, like <laughs> <laughs> boy, boy. I'm not the sorry ma- the for man. Him the man had an interview with mara san giorgio on uh, on sky sports f1 italy and he was he, he actually said that you know uh, things that seb was saying about oh, you know, not being happy with the pit wall because he doesn't feel like he's been uh, listened to as much as he wants and i mean you should listen to a four time world champion who is known for to be a, an amazing Development drivers. So I think you should listen to him, especially when he's been with the team for five years. But anyway, and he was like, oh, yeah, the, um, Seb's comments do not actually stem from anything except for him being disappointed in not being part of the project for 2021. I'm pretty sure Seb is actually very happy of not being (laughs) part of the project for 2021. But, I mean, you can think what what you want, whatever lets you sleep at night, honestly. But the fact that a team principal goes onto the radio, onto, onto TV, actually, saying something like that, it's just everyone was like, what? Are you serious? Like did you just say that because as much as you can have conflict, as much as you can have a bad breakup, that's not how you do PR. And it it was it was so so weird to see honestly. Yeah, it was like yet
0: another bad communication strategy. Like you can you you can't say those things on TV, on radio, on anything. Especially when you know that it's your team who did wrong to your driver. It's not the driver who did something wrong to you. So like what what the hell are you saying? Why do you say that? Yeah. I mean, I know you have to like kind of defend yourself, but this just makes you look ridiculous.
1: Yeah, honestly. I mean, again, it's not like Ferrari needs the, the, the shock value of Bad PR to be in the papers, you know, I can understand if uh, if a uh, you know minor team or anything like that tries to add the shop value, the entertainment value to the circus because they need something uh, to to be talked about like for example, I always keep him in mind because it, I think he's a prime example under that circumstance, like Gunther Steiner like yeah. Has is basically only on the radar because Günther Steiner is a savage, and I love that, and I love that. But it's clearly not something that Ferrari needs to be on the radar. So, yeah, the thing he would come into to an actual interview and say that, and I can understand, you know, the adrenaline. It was post-race interview and whatever, but he was not the one, you know, exiting the car. Actually, yeah. so keep your adrenaline levels down, please. That that's not that's not the right the right case but anyway um the thing is you know at this point it's basically a meme you know th- that meme, disappointed but not surprised right? yeah that's basically that's basically me with ferrari at the moment yeah and or like know, the, actually...
0: like the girl holding uh, a sign i don't know like uh with something written on it uh, i can't remember exactly the words but it was something like our expectations for you were low but holy f-
1: <laughs> and it's yeah, yeah exactly exactly. That. exactly exactly it's not like we were expecting like a, a perfect d- display of team unity but you can do a little bit better than that I'm sure you can but anyway like can you imagine that I actually write for Ross Automobili you know like a Ferrari magazine okay. and I have to write race reports for every single race. Can you imagine how frustrating that is? Can you imagine me writing pieces about that? (laughs) Yeah, like of course you couldn't do that for the life of you. (laughs) But you know, it isn't a walk in the park for me as well because of course it's a Ferrari magazine so it's not like you can completely on them all the time. But there's not much positives you can pick up from these kind of race weekends, are there?
0: yeah we're at a point where Ferrari is kind of undefendable like and this is what upsets me the fact that Binotto keeps on trying to defend the team when he can't because let's face it he can't you're like
1: man cut it just be honest at this point yeah just be honest I'm sure you you would you would do better even with with the media and with the public opinion like public the the public preference for Binotto I think is at an all-time low because yeah. the thing is I, I've seen I actually wrote a tweet about that and it happened to go viral I, I really didn't know how to act because I'm, I'm not used to go to go viral I do not make viral content normally I try to steer away from that but that happened you know and when something goes viral the, the, the positive from it is that you get lots of replies You know, you get lots of opinions on the matter. Um, So I was reading through the comments under this tweet and there were so many people who were like, I'm not even a Ferrari fan or I'm not even a Sebastian fan but what is happening is absolutely insane like it saddens even people who do not support ferrari or do not support battle because of course it's just so sad to see a fourth time world champion being treated this way and to see such an iconic team um falling so low it's pretty much the same thing of course uh, the the situation in williams is much much worse and i honestly hope we do not get that low with Ferrari, because it would it, that would be an absolute first. But anyway, oh, yeah. the thing is, it's the same thing that is happening for Williams. Like, I've never supported Williams in my life, but it's just so sad to see. Like, at that point, it's like, this team is the history of Formula One. This driver is a four-time world champion. It just pains people who love the sport to yeah. see what happens it 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 would be like hamilton instantly being given i don't know uh an alfa romeo car on level <laughs> on performance level like it would pay me i'm I'm not a lewis hamilton fan by any means but it would be so depressing yeah yeah it was
0: basically the same thing when Uh, McLaren hit their all-time low that's the same thing like there were lots of people who were not McLaren fans but were gutted anyways
1: to see such an important team for the history of the sport being at such a low yeah do you think like we enjoyed seeing Fernando Alonso last place with McLaren like can you imagine we didn't yeah we absolutely didn't, and again, I'm not the biggest Alonso fan. I grew up with Alonso, and actually, when I was little, I was an Alonso fan. I kind of grew out of it, but again, it pains you to see that because if you love the sport, it's not about it's not just about supporting your favorite team like blindly anywhere. It's also understanding that anything that hinders the competition is actually a blow to the sport as a whole, yeah
0: yeah, you're absolutely right. I completely agree.
1: Uh, anyway, like Formula One pains us and saddens us so much. we We should move to GT Marty because I mean, this <laughs> is kind of a it's kind of a standby point because the GT war challenge has started, but we're now on standby until uh, the Nürburgring, ring, uh, which is on um, September five, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. September five. Uh, but anyway, we got some pretty interesting news. Anyway, because uh, we got the new uh, GT3 BMW, uh, yeah, which is supposed yeah. to to replace the M6. And honestly, I, I hope they do they do well with the with this M4 GT3. Um, it should come into into action with actually with the new GT3 regulations, which should be approved by the FIA in 2022, as far as I know. So basically, uh, this M4 GT3 will have a limited rollout on uh, 2021. I think the limited rollout will be um, on the um, former VLN, now NLS, you know, basically that Endurance series entirely on the Nürburgring. Yeah, Uh, it's usually where teams tend to roll out. Uh, gt3 cars mostly because you know it's nurburgring is extremely taxing on the on the car and it's also endurance so you're basically testing that into the the worst possible conditions and that's when you want to test the car Uh, and mostly because actually the VLN, now known as nls they basically changed the 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 nomenclature this year Um, the thing is they have so many classes and basically they have one class which is specifically uh destined to non-homologated cars yeah basically you can roll those cars uh without fia homologation they need to go of course scrutineering and local checks there but you do not need fia homologation so yeah it's honestly where they mostly test like for example last year mercedes tested the img um, gt3 evo there uh, at the nls um, and I've seen the um, actually uh, BMW BMW did the um, did the the first on track appearance during the MotoGP Syrian Grand Prix because it was sponsored by them.
0: Oh really? I actually yeah. I actually haven't had a chance to to watch the GP, so I don't know what happened.
1: Uh, you know, in particular. Yeah, oh. no, basically it was it was a collateral event, but since B M W sponsored the Mercer GP Grand Prix, uh, yeah. they got Philippe Eng to, to drive this new M4 GT3 in Camo livery, of course. Uh, I'm I'm really happy they chose Philippe Heng. I mean, it was probably yeah. the best choice to do that. Uh, but yeah, I have so such high expectations to this car. Talking about Philippeng. Uh, which isn't having much luck in the DTM at the moment, but still drives <laughs> right, in DTM. Like, have you have you heard about what's going to happen with DTM? Of course, guys, if you've been out of the loop, basically um, the Dolce Turen, Turenwagen Masters, uh, how do they even say that? I don't know, I'm terrible at, at German, so I don't even try. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the thing is, um, since Audi is leaving this coming year, uh, BMW is the only constructor left and of course is not a sustainable category anymore because the, the main issue with DTM is that they actually run with silhouette cars they are not GT3, they are not GT2 they are not anything, like they are DTM homologated cars and of course can you, you can imagine that especially after Covid for a manufacturer to have uh, a racing fleet uh, specifically for one Single championship, which honestly, I mean, is very, of course, it's a very important, professional, and popular category, but it's not exactly Formula One. Like the the investment is just not that sustainable for them. Mm-hmm. So, what DTM is trying to do to keep uh, to keep uh, the the championship alive is they are apparently going to follow the the GT three configuration, but they're going to spice it up. They they're talking about this GT plus. Plus, which I'm like, what, what, that, what, what does that even mean? Like, what's the plus? Yeah, exactly. What's the plus? I mean, they, we have lots of GT, of GT configurations and just, I don't know, bring back GT1 or GT2. What, what's GT plus even have to do with anything? But anyway, uh, they, they're trying their, their best, basically. It's that, that kind of cake that you get, at least you tried, you know? That yeah thing. yeah <laughs> no, like... I go <laughs> go go <laughs> no but I mean honestly y- yeah it's it's kind of like they're trying to keep the the championship alive but honestly I wouldn't see the interest mostly because like Germany already has a GT 3 championship which is the GT masters and yeah. it's a it's a big championship so many professionals and uh, and amateur drivers, gentlemen drivers alike participate in that. And I mean, I can understand that the DTM would still be different because there's only one driver per car uh, and they're all pros. So I can understand the difference. But honestly, does one country really need two high profile GT3 championships? I don't think so.
0: No, it doesn't. It actually doesn't. But... Uh, Yeah, COVID-19 was for sure a heavy blow for DTM um, and I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that it was a heavy blow. But um, I'm happy to see that they're trying to do their best uh, to to save the whole thing. So, um, you know, a country doesn't need these championships, like uh, a big number of high profile championships, but It's always good. I mean, I think that for Germany, it's a good thing to to have more than one.
1: Yeah, I mean, Germany has a motorsport and automotive tradition, which is probably second to none in the world. Like, I would argue that the top three uh, motorsport countries are Germany, uh, the UK and Italy. Yeah. So yeah honestly the amount of manufacturers that have their uh, base and are store historically linked with germany is just insane but the thing is if i could provide a solution which of course it's difficult because the thing is that the gt masters and the dtm are actually organized by two different promoters because itr takes care of dtm and ADAC. Which is basically the the national sporting association for for motorsport in Germany takes care of GT Masters. But the thing is, current GT Masters regulations do not allow for crews composed of two professional drivers, like the best yeah. you can get is a a professional and a semi-pro. They have this intermediate category, which is a semi-pro, which is not a gentleman driver, but uh, it's not at a professional level as well, you know. So considering the DT Masters already has so many classes because you have pro and semi-pro, then semi-pro plus semi-pro and then semi-pro plus AM. So basically you already have so many classes. At that point, like, just merge everything together and create a solely professional class for Gt masters and just adopt G t three regulations, but make a class exclusively made for professional drivers and have profession completely professional crews uh, do their be- do their job in um, in G t masters but again it's not something that is likely to happen because the promoters are different
0: yeah, you're right. Um, by the way i think we're reaching the 45 minute mark um did we want to say something about
1: um the indy 500 yeah honestly i gotta say like i didn't watch the race Uh, i mean how can you have the the champions league finals and the indy 500 at the same time honestly that was just (laughs) bad planning guys i can understand COVID 19 and anything but that was bad planning So, yeah, I didn't watch the Hindi 500, I have no idea. I only knew that, like, Alonso came 21st and Sato won. Because for some reason, like, Alonso, we we always have to state where Alonso came into. (laughs) Like, he wasn't even ever in contention for the win, but we just know that Alonso finished 21st.
0: Yeah, I actually didn't watch the race uh, either. But um it's fun that the first thing I read after the end of race was Alonso got P twenty one and I was like, Okay, but who won the race? Hey, <laughs> <Yeah>, exactly, <laughs> Guys?
1: like poor poor Takuma Sato. I was like, what the hell? And I didn't even know like I was more in, in that kind of crew, in the McLaren arrow crew, I was definitely more interested in seeing what Pato word. Uh, came into with, yeah. but I I didn't I don't know about that because I, I didn't read any reports on that, so I'll have to investigate uh, into Pato worth finishing position in yeah. the Indy 500.
0: Yeah, me too, me too. And by the way, I saw that Alonso actually had a clutch problem, a clutch issue. Um, so, but I didn't see him that upset uh, as he usually ha- he is. So, I don't know, maybe he's growing up.
1: <laughs> no, maybe the like GP2 clutch. GP2 <laughs> clutch. <laughs> 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 embarrassing, embarrassing. Anyway, let's stop with the with our best Alonso impressions. We should have a special with our Alonso impressions. Like I have a very good Alonso impression. I, I love to do that. Anyway, um so guys, yeah, no comment on the Indy 500 because honestly, we didn't watch and we don't like to talk about things we know anything about. Uh, which apparently is something that has become rare in today's day and age. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, thanks so much for tuning in as always. And we'll uh, hear you and see you on the 27th of September as usual.
0: Yeah, guys, thank you very much for tuning in and see you in September. Bye-bye. Goodbye.